We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Welcome back to the Meyer Jensen Sports Open Line. Swing it along with the left. That's a grand slam for Yannier Molina. With special reports from Cardinals Camp and the D.R. Hughes Homes Broadcast Center, this is Sports Open Line on KMOX. 7 o'clock hour here. We're going to continue with the hockey here in the first part. Blues and Wild open up their series tonight in Minnesota. 8.30, they drop the puck. I like this series. And as you, you know, we're going to, I want to hear, I want you to hear a little bit of uh, conversation that uh, Mike Claiborne had with Darren Pang on sports on a Sunday morning yesterday, because they hit on a couple of really important things um, that, I mean, not shocking that they did that, by the way, just I uh, thought they were fascinating and I wanted to bring them to people that maybe weren't listening on a Sunday morning. Cause you know, we all have different schedules and different things going on. And when I was listening to the interview earlier, I thought this is really good and I want to play some of this. Um, and the, I want to get into a couple of things here with with this conversation. One, obviously, you know, the Blues have had a lot of set success head-to-head against the Wild in recent years. Uh, regular season success, obviously, 9-0-1 in their last 10 games in the regular season against the Wild. You know, they've had great success against the Wild overall since Craig Berube took over as the head coach of the Blues. But things don't necessarily go that way once you get into the playoffs. And one of the variables that's introduced into this series now is the presence of Marc-Andre Fleury in the goal for the Wild. And, you know, he and Cam Talbot combined have been pretty phenomenal since the trade deadline. So they've got two guys going pretty well. His experience changes the dynamic a little bit. So that's part of the conversation that Mike Claiborne had with Darren Pang on sports on a Sunday morning, yesterday morning here on KMOX. They started with a little bit more of a broad look at the series. You ready for the playoffs? I'm ready, man. You know, this is my favorite time of the year, or one of my favorite times of the year, uh, because the first round, everybody is reasonably healthy. Everybody already knows the matchups, and and it, it just becomes one of those things where you can start to dislike somebody and a team really quick. And I think with all the matchups that I'm looking at, I think this Blues-Minnesota Wild one will be one everybody should probably circle because this will be the, the survival of the fittest as far as I'm concerned. This is going to be a real good series. There's no question. And, and going back to the first round itself, I, uh, in all my years of broadcast, and I think it, it generates the most amount of excitement because it generates the most amount of hope. I mean, you still have, uh, you still have every single playoff team and every single playoff fan base. They're they're still in it. They believe that their team can win the Stanley Cup. So you've got way more eyeballs. You've got way more interest. You got way more passion. Um, and uh, I, again, it's uh, it, it it may be the most fun and entertaining round of the entire Stanley Cup if, if, if you can uh, if you can actually uh, you know I mean we saw it when the Blues won the Stanley Cup so it's always great for two two markets but uh, all the other markets that lost aren't as excited as the ones that are in it in the yeah, final yeah, two right. so yeah so I, Minnesota St. Louis uh, I mean I know the history of the Minnesota Wild aren't the Minnesota North Stars but by and large we all feel that way it brings us back memories of the old Norris uh, division days. And uh, they're a big, strong team, and and, uh, and the Blues play a different game now. The Blues have got more depth than any team in the NHL, um, and that's pretty impressive in terms of 20-goal uh, scores. Is the story of the year for the St. Louis Blues 
Vladimir Tarasenko and Doug Armstrong, where Tarasenko spoke, Army listened, Tarasenko played, and we saw maybe the best hockey from Vladimir Tarasenko in, in a, certainly the last few years. And it, and it worked out where everybody ended up being happy at the end of the regular season. Yeah, and, and you know what, I think I think we should just enjoy the moment, too. Uh, Kirk. Yeah. You know, I, I really do, Claves. I just think that the, the moment's now, and whatever happens after the season will happen after the season. But in the meantime, you're, you are right. It's you know, at the very beginning, it, it, it took on such momentum and such a conversation with everybody, uh, with Vladdy and his agent uh, asking to be traded. And, and, you know, and then as the season went along, it, it did disappear. Um, and I know it disappeared inside that locker room um, earlier than people thought. So it's a credit to everybody. Uh, Clay, it's a credit It's a credit to him. It's a credit to, uh, the, you know, it's a credit to the training staff, too. I mean, they kind of took it on the chin from that, you know, that new agent that he that he took on. Paul Theophanis, and, and uh, you know, I, I think the lessons of all this are some things are best to be done, um, you know, behind closed doors and a lot more discreetly, because that kind of put Vladdy in a, in, a, in a pickle as well. But uh, as it turns out, he played hard. He found a magical centerman, and, a, you know, I mean, who knows how this would have turned out, Claves, if, if Robert Thomas and, and Vladdy didn't click the way they clicked. I mean, because, yeah. you know, Vladdy did go up and down the lineup, and, uh, you know, and then, and then Craig Berube, you know, he kept obviously going back to that group and, and, and with Robert and with Vladdy, and it just works. And, you know, what goal-scoring winger um, is disappointed <laughs> when they're playing with a real good playmaker? <laughs> None of them. <laughs> None of them are disappointed right. when they've got a playmaking <laughs> centerman like Robert Thomas. So I, I'm glad yeah. that all worked out because with Bushnevich on the left, he's also an unbelievable passer and a playmaker and, and a big body, and I can't wait to see – I can't wait to see Bushnevich in his first playoff series with the St. Louis Blues. By the way, I'm glad you brought his name up, and I'll go back to Army for a minute. I, I think everybody still is marveled by the acquisition of a guy like Ryan O'Reilly from Buffalo. But this Bushnevich trade certainly turned out to be one that you know that we got more than more fruit off the tree than I think anybody envisioned. Absolutely, and then it may be because you know. We, we, especially last year, where we're so focused on, we, you know, I keep, kept thinking we were in the Central Division last year, but we were actually moved to the Pacific Division last year. So we were way out west, and, and our, I think our fans' focal point was on the Western Conference. So um, I, I know I didn't get a whole lot of opportunity to see the Eastern Conference teams last year. Um, so, but, but then you end up asking anybody around the East and talking about Bushnevich, and they, they, they raved about his two-way game and the, that he was a terrific penalty killer and that 17 of his 20 goals were at even strength. So that tells you a lot, that he wasn't just getting you know, his candy on the power play in the easy situations. He was getting it in the hard situations, and he, and he became a good penalty killer, exactly what the Blues needed. Big winger that can skate and that can be on the PK because you greatly miss that, especially not knowing Oscar Sundquist's status with all the injuries. With Alexander Steen's retirement, we can go on and on and on. Carl Gunnarsson moving on. So we needed some, some guys that were good on the defensive side of it, and that's where Bushnevich, you know, first catches your eye is how intelligent he is uh, defending. And then you notice, boy, how brilliant he is on the offensive side of it. Darren, the other thing I wanted to ask you about is the goaltending. Obviously, every series comes down to goaltending. And while Mark andre Fleury, he's a Hall of Famer. I don't think anybody's going to argue that point. And, and he's a great goaltender. And he can steal a series. I think a guy like that is only as good now at this point in his career as the guys in front of him. How do you feel about what Minnesota puts out there to defensively to make sure that Fleury doesn't get overworked and gets exposed at this point in his career? 
Well, there's a lot of guys that I've talked about, uh, you know, during the course of getting ready for this playoffs, guys that are coaches in the league and just guys that I trust their opinions. And that's, that's the one area that they, that, you know, the, the thought out there is that the blues, you know, can bully that defensive unit around a little bit. Um, you know, they had a great season, so I don't understand how it would all, you know, how all of a sudden in the seven game series, you're going to push around that, that group. Um, but, over time, I think the Blues have the mindset to wear down, you know, some of their smaller defensemen. Uh, Jared Spurgeon's been kind of banged up a little bit. Same with, you know, Dumba and Brodeen. And, um, you know, so that'll, that'll be a big key. And we know that in, in a series, if you, can, if you can take a little bit of skin off of one of their defensemen early in a series, then as it goes along, maybe they get a little bit tentative going back and retrieving pucks. Um, when that happens, you know, maybe that's the area that can expose the goaltender. Let's face it, the numbers bear this out. The Blues have had great success against Talbot. And so that's, that's the question mark as to, you know, w- will we see more than one goaltender in this series? Hey, wait, heck, will we see four goaltenders in this series? Nobody knows for sure. How, mm-hmm. Nobody knows how Billy Huso is going to respond in his first seven-game playoff series. He doesn't have any experience in seven-game series. So there's, there's always that, you know, that what-if a portion of it and that's why you need four good goaltenders and I would say that around the NHL how many teams have four options or two on each team like St. Louis and Minnesota do not very many so if the Blues could exploit especially early on on home ice where the pressure is on a Cam Talbot especially um, you know and all of a sudden the boo birds come out and all of a sudden the questions start arising um, and then you make a change and then you then you dent the armor in the second goaltender that that's that's how series are won right there. So um, that that's the part that we don't know yet going into it, but uh, we will find out after after game one. Great stuff from Panger. He was with Mike Claiborne yesterday, filling in for Tom Ackerman on sports on a Sunday morning. And to me, that's the number one story in the playoff series is which team is going to get the better goaltending. When you look at these two teams, uh, and I want to do a little bit more of this in the next segment. So this is kind of a tease for next segment. When you look at these two teams. Um, Minnesota scored 310 goals and the Blues scored 311. Minnesota allowed 253. The Blues allowed 242. Like, they're both deep. They can both score. Um, They were both good at home and on the road. Uh, There's really, like, there's not much of a gap here. So there's no, like, distinct, clear roster advantage. So it may come down to obviously this very simple thing. And I want to explore that a little bit more. The goaltender issue, I don't want to say issue, the goaltending matchup that, that Panger just described. You got two guys on each side. Both of those guys can play on each side. How does it sort itself out? We'll get to that next on KMOI. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. All right, so more hockey talk here. I want to get into the goaltending thing a little bit more. And obviously, Darren Pang outlined it as well as you can. I just wanted to give you some of the numbers behind it to, to kind of give you uh, a bit more on how things have gone, especially from the Minnesota side. And obviously, we watch the Blues all the time. We know how it's gone. Uh, down the stretch, you know, the difference between 
Uh, Billy Huso and, and Jordan Bennington wasn't as great as the difference was earlier in the year. But but who, I think to, to Craig Berube's point from the, before the top of the hour, I mean, Huso has been the guy for most of the year. You know, once he got in there, he kind of held on to the job and he did he did a good job in big games and, you know, avoided some of the the, the bigger flops um, that, that Bennington had at times. And I think you can... It's kind of nice having a guy in your back pocket that won a Stanley Cup, right? Like, not that long ago. It's kind of nice knowing that if Huso struggles or he gets dinged up or whatever, the guy that you're going to has won the Stanley Cup for you, and he's not an old guy that's past it. I mean, he's still prime-aged. He's obviously just two years ago. Wow, it's almost three years ago now that that happened. Are you serious? Oh, my God. It's like one of those things, like, you know, like, all of the stuff that surrounded COVID made everything feel like it was happening in slow motion for a while. But now I'm looking past like anything before that just feels like a blip. It's weird. Like I, I was like, I, I always say this with the Stanley Cup. I was like, oh, it's just a couple years ago. No, it's three years now. Damn near it. It'll be three years this year. Stanley Cup. Anyway, you've got Jordan Bennington who has that background. Again, you look at the Minnesota side, you know, Cam Talbot had a good year, man. I mean, you know, he played in 49 games for Minnesota. I don't know why, but I feel like I'm saying it Minnesota with a Minnesota accent today. Am I doing that? Minnesota? Hope not. Sorry. Uh, 277 goals against, 911 save percentage. I mean, those are good. I mean, that's kind of Billy. Those are those are Billy Huso's numbers. Um, Mark Andre Fleury only played 11 games for the Wild, uh, and you know he just came in at the trade deadline, but he went nine and two. 274 goals against, 910 save percentage. So, again, the numbers between him and Cam Talbot are about the same. But as Panger pointed out, the Blues have had a lot more success against Cam Talbot. So, you got a guy in Marc Andre Fleury, the grizzled veteran who's won the cup and all of that. You got a guy that, you know, might be the right matchup for this series. And then who knows how it, how it goes after that. But I, I do ultimately think that this is probably going to be what it comes down to this year. In this series, I mean. Both of these teams have tremendous depth, right? We know the Blues, right? They have nine twenty goal scorers. Um, the only Blues team that ever had more was the 80-81 team. Uh, they've got, I mean, you got nine guys that are scoring at that level. I mean, you certainly have depth. You come at, they come at you three lines strong, no questions asked. I will. I do wonder what you know what the performance of the fourth line will be like because I know that for a lot of the second half of the year they were trying to find a combo there. They're trying to kind of get that energy unit going, and you know, may, hopefully that'll happen in these playoffs. But I mean, the rest of it is impossible to argue. You've, you've got dangerous players on your top three lines, and look, it's it's the same for Minnesota. They don't have nine guys with twenty goals. I think they have, I think they have seven. Let me hear. I'm going to look at it. Two, four, six. They have six. But they also have a few other guys with, you know, double digits. And also the top end, I mean, Kaprizov has 47 goals. So, I mean, they're, they might be, a, they might have better numbers at the top end of the roster. But I don't, I don't see a real issue with matching up. I think the Blues match up just fine. And in fact, I would argue that defensively, the Blues guys up front probably are more reliable. Maybe that's just my uh, my opinion. I don't want to say being skewed, but maybe being um, 
a little bit off because I see more of the blues. I mean, we always have to kind of like, it's to me, it's hard to fight sometimes that the more you see a team, the more you can either be too positive or too negative, depending on how it's going. And the the, the real view is probably a more va- a balanced one on the outside. But I feel like, you know, with Ryan O'Reilly and Barbashev and Braden Shin and a lot of these, like they, they've proven that they're two-way players. We'll see. I mean, you know, we, we got to see a full season of of Vladdy being Vladdy. He's back to what he was pre-shoulder injury. And, you know, look, what we have to uh, – maybe maybe this is a, a good thing to look at too. In addition to the goalies as being a key thing here is, you know, what, what Tarasenko has been as a playoff performer in his career. Because, look, he you know, he's a guy that I – mean, this is – yeah, this is definitely his first point-per-game season. He's never done that before. He's had more goals, you know, 14, 15, 15, 16, 16, 17. He had more goals than he had this year with 34. But this is his first point-per-game season. But this is a guy that, you know, 35 goals in 78 career playoff games. I mean, this guy is a playoff performer. You know, he had 11 goals during the Stanley Cup run in 26 games. I mean, like, this has been... Something that he's been known for is being a good, legitimate goal scorer in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Does Is he able to take that to an even better level coming off what is his best, most balanced offensive season? I don't know, but I hope so. But mostly, you know, when you're looking at a series like this, it doesn't always come down to a matchup that you can draw up on paper. It doesn't always come down to something... Um, that's that that you can say after the fact, like, oh yeah, I saw that coming. Sometimes it's the guy that you don't see coming who just has a great series. Sometimes it's, mm, man, we lost a couple of guys to injury during the series, or man, we took too many penalties and we couldn't kill them. So yeah, I I always hesitate in a hockey series to be too focused on matchups and things like that. I mean, the number one thing is always going to be goaltending. Does one of the goalies just go unconscious and just stop everything? And if that happens. That team's going to advance. If that doesn't happen, well, then all those other things can come into play. Looking forward to it getting started in about an hour uh, with the Blues and the Wild in the first round of the NHL playoffs. Coming up next, um, I want to play something for you that was from our Friday night live at Lowe's. So this is the new post-game show that we're doing on Friday nights um, after Cardinals home games. Um, Rick Horton, uh, Mike Claiborne and a guest will come over to the Lowe's Hotel, which is at Ballpark Village right across the street. Really cool outdoor bar area on the second floor restaurant. They have great food, by the way. Great crab cakes. I, I'm, I'm always a, a nerd about crab cakes. They're really good. But you, you can go up there, have food, eat drinks, and all that. But if you do that on a Friday night after a home game, the show will be taking place the Friday night live at Lowe's. Well, this past Friday night, we kicked it off with John Mosellock as the guest. And they hit on some things that are not your typical... Q&A stuff with the Cardinals president of baseball operations, and they were really interesting. So I want those of you that missed out on that to hear some of that next on KMOX. To the Meyer Jensen Sports Open Line. Swing it along with the left. That's a grand slam for Yadier Molina. With special reports from Cardinals Camp and the T.R. Hughes Homes Broadcast Center, this is Sports Open Line on KMOX. All right, back to baseball for a little bit. Um, Live at Lowe's on Friday night was awesome. Uh, Rick Horton and Mike Claiborne are the hosts. This is going to be happening on Friday nights after Cardinals home games moving forward. Uh, uh, John and, I'm sorry, not John and Rick, Mike and Rick, Claibs and Ricky 
will be coming over and doing a lot of the post game show with a guest. So this week it was John Mosellock, and it was really good because it's not like what, what was really cool about it. It was not a typical question and answer type thing. It wasn't a typical interview that you would have with a president of baseball operations where you're talking about what's going on on the field now. You know, how about the farm system? When do you think about moves? It wasn't that, which is what made it a lot more interesting because I think you get a different type of answer and a different type of tone from, in this case, John Mosellock. And I was listening to it when I was coming back to the studio, stuck in traffic, coming back to the studio to finish up some work, and it was phenomenal. And I thought, you know what? Monday, we're going to have some of this for you. So here's a little bit of it. This is Mike Claiborne and Rick Horton uh, doing the Friday Night Live at Lowe's with John Mosellock from this past Friday. Oh, happy to be here and uh, honored to be your first guest. So well, it's an exciting evening. A lot of pressure when you're number one, you know. Not really. They just take you out, and then uh, hopefully everybody follows and does a little better, right? <laughs> hey, for you, um, you and I talked about this not long ago, 30 years in the, in, with the Cardinals. Actually, this is my 27th season with St. Louis Cardinals. Well, that's right, you in Colorado. in the big leagues. But, yeah, it's getting old. We're all getting old, man. But we're having fun getting old. You know, the, the great thing about working in baseball, especially in a, in a place like St. Louis, is is the city and our fan base, they, they truly love our team and our game. And so to be a part of, of baseball and to do it in a city like St. Louis, I mean, think how lucky I am. And so, you know, your point is all of us that get to work in this business but get to do it in the city of St. Louis, we're blessed. Yeah, you know, I was going to add, the first thing I thought about asking you was, I know that we have to be a baseball fan to be in this business. You love it. You grew up in it. You started in it with in Colorado, as you mentioned. And, you know, there's a fan piece of you, and there's a business piece of you, and you got a job to do. Uh, what is it you love about baseball? I mean, just not just Cardinal, Cardinal baseball specifically, but, but just baseball. I mean, what is it that drives you and you just enjoy about the game? So there's a couple things that, that stand out to me, and I, I remember doing an interview probably about, this was probably in uh, 2019, prior to the pandemic, or maybe it was the spring of 2020, but someone sat down with me and wanted to just watch a baseball game through my eyes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you think about watching a game of baseball and, and when we go to a big league game or even a minor league city or even an amateur game, there's always a lot of noise and things around. But if you just look at the simplicity of a game, for example, when you look at a pitch, you, you, the, the first thing you think about is like, was it a ball or a strike? Did the hitter swing or miss? Did you put it in play? But if you take a step back and even the nuance of, of what's every fielder doing, right. it's, it's actually quite poetic. And, and, and it's like, to me, it's watching a clean game of baseball is like going to the symphony. If everybody does their job right, it's flawless. It's seamless. It's perfect. And when we get to watch baseball at the big league level, we see a lot of that. And baseball, players make mistakes, and I get all that. But that's one of the things I just love about watching the game is just all the sort of nuances that most people probably don't even observe. But I find them fascinating, and I find when, they, when you do them right, it makes for a perfect night. I, I just love when I see like our players or just the game in general where you're not only doing the things that are right, but you're doing the things that you, that – you're supposed to do that are intuitive and uh you know i think that's one of the things that you know growing up in the cardinal organization this 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 place really takes a lot of pride in that and so you know being part of like that kissel prodigy and coming up with that it's like it's kind of cool and then the other thing i really love about the game is is just like before people actually get to the ballpark the, the sort of the quietness mm -hmm. 
of of what actually happens and like what I mean by that is like when you go actually watch BP or infield before music's turned on it's just those those that the habits the practice and you know preparing yourself to be great is something that I just have great ad- admiration for so so really the rhythms of the game too the rhythms of being at the ballpark and you know I know there's always a lot of talk about speeding up the game and the desire to do that that's almost antithetical to what you're saying I mean you, not not that we don't want action. We want it to be fast. But there is a pace to the game that is different than any other sport, really. Well, I think so. And, and you know, look, my, my position's very unique, right? I mean, I typically get to the ballpark at 8 a.m. Mm-hmm. First pitch tonight was 7.15. That's a lot of time. <laughs> Wait right? a minute. You went back in time. Wait a minute. Let me I'll do the math there. And then, and then, then, then the game's actually played, right? And so, you know, like... like when your time is at the ballpark, as much time as I spend, like even like when you guys see me on the road, we're not going to the ballpark till you know two thirty three in the afternoon. I feel like that's a half day, right? Right. <laughs> and mathematically, it is. But so like when you're here at Bush Stadium, you you see things, you experience things that you know maybe most fans don't ever get to see. What's that one thing for you that most people would take for granted that you still pay attention to? I, for me. I like watching batting practice, and I like to see what guys pick up balls after, when they after the batting practice is done. To see guys in that just it's like going to a hockey game watching a Zamboni go around. It's those little things. For You're me. talking about the manners of that. I mean, yeah, that, the, just the, that whole we, thing. We used to say the balls don't have legs on them. I yeah, mean, you, you, everybody's got to do their share. Or well, watching BP and watching uh, guys hit grounders. You know, guy throws a pitch, guy's hitting the ground. I mean, those are the little things. So what about you? I mean, first off, the nuances of, of, of being a plight player, I, I would say like anybody that watches the Cardinals, whether it's here in St. Louis or down in Jupiter um, or Rookie League, Gulf Coast League, our players know to pick up baseballs. Like they're mm-hmm. taught to do that because, you know, when I go out and I see a high school game or, or a college game and I watch a kid take, take his round and then walk away <laughs> – it bothers That's you. a problem. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's more than a little bitty red flag. Yeah. Starts and so, so, but when you ask me, like, what do I look for dur- during a sort of the nuances of the game, I probably pay more attention to what's happening in the dugout than you guys may think. Mm-hmm. I really do care about like who's talking to whom, mm-hmm. who's interacting with whom. I mean, obviously, we measure everything that happens in the game, but when you think about like outside those white lines, we measure very little. And so those are the sort of interactions that I'm looking to capture. So has any of this uh, changed for you over 16 years? You've been in the uh, postseason nine different times, and you obviously have had a great career. You've had three uh, uh, awards that you've been given as exe- for an executive. And, and so you know, when you, you start on day one, obviously you know X. And then it's six, 16 years later or 17 years later, you know something a little bit more than that. Uh, what are some of the things that you, you think you've learned uh, over time that you didn't know on day one? Well, I would say, I would answer this question more like from like a leadership perspective. Yeah. And, and I would start off with one is, is patience, two is trust, and three would be empathy. And you could take all three of those words and we could you know, dissect them, and, 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 but let's just start off with patience. When, when, you're, when you get the keys to this job or you, you're told you get to sit in it, you immediately want action. You right. immediately want to do things. You immediately want to make sure that people realize, hey, you're in charge and hey, yeah. you know, like I'm going to make things better. But 
you know, in hindsight, you know, if you understand really what's around you, and I was lucky because I was in the organization, I sort of understood what I was getting into. It wasn't like I was just joining a new club. Right. But I, I feel like, you know, anytime you're in a leadership role and you can exhibit patience, you're going to be much more likely to be successful. And then trust. As you guys can imagine, you have a lot of people that are answering to you, working with you. Some would say for you, but you understand relationship building. And if you don't have that trust where people feel like they can trust you, you're not going to be able to accomplish much. So you know, to your point, what do we know? What do I know today versus 15 years ago? I, I know I didn't have as much trust as I do today. Yeah. And you say the same thing about empathy? I mean, that's... A, a- empathy to me is probably one of the most underrated skills of any leader, right? And I don't think you can truly be a great leader without empathy. And what I mean by empathy is understanding what others are going through, right? And so, you know, I can't walk in every single person's shoes. Like, I don't know exactly what it's like to be you two every day. I have a sense, but I don't know for sure. But if I can show you guys compassion or appreciation for what you're doing and understand what you're trying to do, you guys are going to appreciate me more. And so... Now imagine this example, now you know, do it 50 times. And, and that's all I try to do with our, our staff, our players, and our employees. Because I think when you look at those traits, and I didn't have this when I started, okay? I mean, one of my first roles when Walt Jockety hired me was I would fire people. Right. right? But, like, that was like the Grim Reaper. Not very empathetic, yeah. <laughs> um, but got the job done. There you go. That's some of John Mosellock from Live at Lowe's on Friday night. So it's Friday night live at Lowe's. Uh, the Lowe's Hotel is part of Ballpark Village uh, right there. So if you're if you're coming out of the ballpark and facing Ballpark Village, you know, you got the big courtyard area uh, with the big screen TV. To the right of that, you have Cardinals Nation. Well, to the left of that is uh, the Lowe's Hotel. And on the second floor of that, there's a really cool little bar and restaurant area. That's where we are outside for the Friday night live at Lowe's. And so, you know, when it's a Friday night home game, we want to come hang out, get something to eat, maybe have a drink after the game, and then see somebody cool. You know, like this week it was John Mosellock for the first guest. Um, knowing Klaibs and Ricky and the kind of guys that they know, um, you're probably going to see some Cardinals Hall of Famers out there at some point. Uh, you might see some Hall of Famers from other teams in town at some point. Some that might have played for the hockey team that plays later this evening. You might see some visiting people from out of town, like when the another team comes in. You know, you might see one of their famous broadcasters, or you know, people on the coaching staff or something. It, it, it'll be somebody fun every single time they do it, and it's a really cool spot. And you do not have to be staying at the hotel. Um, you can definitely just go come and hang out. It's like a rest, it's just a restaurant bar. Go have a drink, have some food. Watch the show, and then obviously be on your way after a Friday night ball game. All right, hang tight. I got one more baseball thing I want to get into before I run out of time. I want to talk about Ryan Helsley, man. What the heck? <laughs> and I mean what the heck in a good way. We'll get to that next on KMOX. All right, just got a few minutes left, but I, I, I think we need to talk about Ryan Helsley for a little bit here. Now, again, I want to throw this out there. Just like I talked about guys that are struggling earlier and it's too early to to judge and to come into to come to any conclusions and all that I'm giving to give you the same disclaimer here talking about someone who is off to a ridiculous start uh, and that's Ryan Helsley um what what we're seeing from Helsley early this year is 
Well, you know what? It's stupid. It is. It's just stupid. So we know he's made, you know, he's he's thrown eight and a third innings. 16 strikeouts in eight and a third. So major league average strikeout rate is about 22%. So he's three times better than the major league average. And by the way, the major league average by the, is a, is an all-time record. Like this is the, nobody's no, no no the sport has never seen more strikeouts. So and all of that small sample size that's going to get leveled out. It's not going to stay like that. But I just trying to describe for you the start that he's off to. So 16 strikeouts and 8 and a third, 000 ERA. Now that means he hasn't allowed a run. Just want to throw that in there. But when you look at the stat cast data that's available, you can you know, a lot of what they have there are are numbers that can tell you whether the numbers that are being put up, the traditional old school numbers, ERA, things like that, whether they are based on luck, good or bad, right? I mean, you can be throwing better than what your numbers say or worse than what your numbers say, or if you're getting what you deserve. And the crazy thing is he's getting what he deserves. So his actual ERA is zeros, right? His expected ERA based on the quality of contact against him is 016, (laughs) which is... Just stupid. It's, it's ridiculous. He has thrown a hundred. I'm trying not to nerd out too much, but this stuff is just amusing me too much. Ryan Helsley has thrown 111 pitches so far this year. 10 balls in play. 10. Ba- so one in every 11 pitches, the ball's being put in play against Ryan Helsley this year. Everything else is either a ball a called strike, a swing and miss strike, or a foul ball. He has only allowed 10 batted balls in 111 pitches this year. Is that good? It's pretty stupid good. And now again, it's so early that it doesn't tell us that it's going to be this way all year, but holy crap, is he throwing the ball well. I mean, he, he threw 103 miles an hour yesterday. His average fastball is at 99. And, you know, we've talked a lot over the years about how hard Jordan Hicks threw, and, boy, was that ridiculous. And Hicks has that that's, that's crazy two-seam run where he can throw the ball 100 miles an hour and it still moves like 12 inches to the right and down. But then throw on top of the velocity, right? The average fastball at 99.1 miles an hour and the peak fastball at 103 right now. Add on to that that he is in the top 3% in baseball in spin rate on the fastball. And layman's terms, that basically means that the fastball maintains its velocity longer. So let's, for example, say that you let go of the ball. See, the velocities that we see, it's the measurement out of the hand, right? So right when he lets go of it, how fast is it moving? Well, okay, so 99 is the average. Usually you get about a 10%. 10% degradation on the way there. So by the time it's at home plate, it's kind of 90-91 instead of 99. Well, when you have a higher f- spin rate, it's more like 93 or 94 as opposed to 90-91. And those are all, those are just, they're not exact numbers. And I didn't do the math on the exact fastball, but it's kind of what it is. It basically, having a higher spin rate is like adding a couple of miles an hour to your fastball. It's what it's doing. So here you got a guy that's throwing the ball better than pretty much everybody else in Major League Baseball at the moment. And the reason I bring it up is not 
just to be here and nerd out, although that's fun. Um, it's also to point out that you know when we when we've listened to to Oliver Marmel talk about bullpen usage and how they want to deploy guys and whether or not they want to go with uh, a traditional closer and maybe they want to use their best reliever in the most important spots. I just wanted to throw this out there that maybe your best reliever is not going to be Giovanni Gallegos. You know, when we were asking Ali Marmol questions all off season, it was with the idea that Gallegos has been your best reliever. Is he your closer? And then Ali was like, well, you know, we're not always going to use the role traditionally. Maybe Helsley's the guy that ends up being the most dominant arm in the pen. Maybe he's the guy that's the stopper. The guy that comes in in the sixth or the seventh inning, and we've seen he can throw two innings. He just did it yesterday. Is he the guy that now gets those really dangerous situations, especially when you need a swing and miss? Well, I would say the answer to that is probably when you've got a high spin rate fastball at 99 to 103 miles an hour and nobody's hitting anything against you. Maybe that's the role for Ryan Helsey. Maybe he's the most valuable piece in the bullpen this year. Just keep an eye and see how that goes as we move along. Hey, guys, have a good night. We'll talk some baseball with you tomorrow as we get ready for the Cardinals and the Royals. You got Hancock and Kelly coming up next here on KMOX. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.